sometimes I can still hear my mother's gynecologist words reverberating inside my head. I'm sorry, Marlia, but the results were not what we hoped for. Like your mother, you tested positive for the genetic variant BRCA2. You have up to an 84% chance of developing breast cancer at some point during your life, and up to a 27% chance of developing ovarian cancer at some point in your life. And that's how I started my journey into a very uncertain world. Welcome to Health Stories, interviews inside the healthcare system. In this podcast, we invite you, the listener, to hear the real-life stories from clinicians, patients, other healthcare professionals, loved ones, and caregivers as they navigate through our complex healthcare system and provide you with tips and insights for how you might do the same. I am Nicole Deffenbaugh. I'm a health communication scholar and clinical communication specialist. And I'm here today with Dr. Marlia Dean Cruzel. She is an assistant professor in the Department of Communication at the University of South Florida in Tampa. Her research investigates how communication can improve health outcomes for medical providers, uh, patients, and their families. And so she is going to talk with us today about making decisions in an uncertain world uh, and tell us a little bit about genetic testing and some of her experiences. So welcome to the podcast, Marlia. Thank you. So um, what a powerful story. I'll just start with that. Um, I am very fascinated by this topic, and I'm sure our listeners are too, because there is so much talk about the increase in cancer and especially the genetic proponent that's connected to um, the amount of cancer that we have in our society. Um, and want you to go back to that story and tell us what what was it like hearing that you have an 84% chance of getting cancer? Yes, that was um, very hard <laughs> here. Um, but to be clear, it's an 84% lifetime risk, right? So that means as I get older with time, my increase, my risk increases. So right now, I don't have an exact 84% chance of developing breast cancer. But regardless, hearing that you're highly predisposed to cancer is really overwhelming, and um, it creates a lot of uncertainty because you know you have this risk, but you don't know if you're going to get cancer or when you might get cancer. And so you have to make these decisions to protect your health and have good emotional well-being based on uncertain information, like a genetic test, like genetic test results. Yeah, I wanna I wanna get into um, a little bit about your decision for doing this and a little bit about your family history. I wondered if you can tell our listeners a little bit about BRCA and, and what that stands for. So certain gene mutations cause a significant increase in breast, ovarian, and other cancers such as pancreatic, prostate, and melanoma cancer. And one of those genetic variants is BRCA. And BRCA stands for breast cancer. So the first two letters of breast, BR, and the uh, first two letters of cancer, CA. It's often referred to the breast cancer gene, but as I mentioned, there are other hereditary cancers um, as well. And it's a genetic variant that greatly increases an individual's lifetime risk of developing these different types of cancers. 
So can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to get genetic testing for BRCA? I'm I'm assuming that there's some sort of family history with this and, and wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes. So when I was eight years old and my brother was four years old, my mom found a tiny lump. It was barely even noticeable. And I subsequently watched her undergo breast surgery and reconstruction uh, to her left breast and then chemotherapy and radiation, as well as a preventative mastectomy on her right breast to prevent future cancer there. But it wasn't just my mom. Uh, In addition to my mother, my aunt, my mom's younger sister, and my grandmother, their mother, have fought breast cancer. And then my great-grandmother, which is actually my mom's dad's mother, she died of breast cancer at age 35. Mm -hmm. So the BRCA2 genetic mutation comes from her originally. So my grandmother's breast cancer diagnosis is not genetic, or we don't think it was genetic. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just uh, sporadic. So with with so many of these cancer diagnoses, uh, it's easy to wonder, or I grew up wondering really, perhaps cancer isn't just a disease, that perhaps cancer is a way of life. Mm -hmm. So given these four confirmed breast cancer diagnoses in my family, a a few years ago my mom underwent genetic testing to determine if there was a hereditary explanation for why the women in our family got cancer. And not surprisingly, she tested positive for BRCA2, which led me to undergo genetic testing eventually. So B, um, I just want to tell the listeners that you're on Skype. Um, so I'm hearing a little bit of um, some feedback. Um, so BRC, BRCA2, so there's more than one type, right? So there, okay. You're nodding, Correct. so I'll tell everyone that. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's more than one type. So how did you know that it was that type? So your mom chose to do the testing for, it sounds like, I mean, she already had cancer, so it was for you and her children, or right? Correct, yes. So typically how it works is they want the person in your family who's been diagnosed with cancer to undergo the genetic testing if they notice that there's a significant family history of cancer. And there's a variety of different um, guidelines help you um, determine if you might want to look into genetic testing, and I can share those resources later. But, so she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1997, but didn't get, didn't undergo genetic testing until, I think it was about 10 years ago now, and she did decide to do the genetic testing so that my, myself and and my brother um, could determine if we were at risk ourselves. Now, there is a 50, how genes work, right? There's a 50-50 chance that both my brother and I would test positive, right? Because we could have gotten the gene from um, my dad's side versus my mom. But unfortunately, I, I got my mom's lovely gene <laughs> for that. Wow. I, 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 have, I have a series of questions in my head, and I, I hardly know where to start. Um, one of the questions I'm curious is, how old was your mom when she was diagnosed? She was 38 years old, so it was premenopausal. Okay. Um, it was aggressive, oh, okay. and it was very scary. <laughs> um, this was the first yeah. bad thing that had happened, um, you know, quote-unquote bad thing that had happened in their life, and it, it wrecked 
Um, it wrecked them, and it, it was really difficult to cope as a family. Like I said, I was eight years old. My brother was four years old, mm-hmm. um, and so my dad became a caregiver. Um, my mom was a patient, and um, we basically lived in hospitals for a few mm-hmm. years, and that's traumatic for all parties involved in that. I can only imagine how much that sort of influenced you over over time. And I, I think it's interesting. So I guess the question I want to ask is, um, knowing that this happened to your grandmother and your mother in their 30s, you know, how, how is that affecting you and, and your age? And is that part of why you wanted to get genetic testing at a, at a younger age? Yes. So they say that you should start considering genetic testing um, about 10 years prior to when your family member was diagnosed with cancer. So since my mom was 38, by 28, I really needed to um, decide whether or not I wanted to undergo genetic testing because cancer could manifest early for me like it did my mom as well as my aunt. And so um, I ended up getting genetic testing, uh, I think, when I was 25, um, and that was quite early. But the main reason why I decided 25 was because there were clinical guidelines for if you test positive for BRCA1 or BRCA2, you should start doing increased surveillance at 25. So even though I knew growing up that I could have that potential risk of getting cancer someday, I decided 25 was a good age because I could actually start doing something about it that we could start looking for um, or trying to detect breast cancer early um, if I tested positive for this, that I'd have a reason to go to a doctor. Yeah, and I guess that's what I'm curious about. So if you test positive, does that mean that it's on everyone's radar? Do you get additional sort of preventive screening and tests that other people wouldn't because because you had a positive um, BRCA2? Yes, there are three main options when you test positive for a genetic variant like BRCA2. You can do increased surveillance, which is what I'm doing now. So basically you're engaging in breast MRIs, mammograms, transvaginal ultrasounds, um, as well as clinical breast exams and your monthly self-breast exams. Uh, You do that, um, and it depends on the doctor preference as well as the patient's tolerance. Mm -hmm. So you can do that every six months for, um, you know, uh, breast MRI or or yearly. Um, Right now I'm doing it yearly. And then the second option is preventative surgeries. So you can engage in a bilateral mastectomy where you remove your breast tissue in order to decrease your chance of getting breast cancer. And there are a variety of different um, types of surgeries um, and you can choose to do reconstruction or not. And then there's also a preventative bilateral cell pingo-oophorectomy, and that's where you would remove your ovaries and your fallopian tubes to reduce your risk for ovarian cancer. And even though BRCA kind of stands for breast cancer, right, the ovarian cancer is very scary as well because it's very hard to detect ovarian cancer. Um, and so oftentimes, um, well, that, that, that can just be you know, overwhelming too. And then the third option is chemo prevention, where you would actually take medication to prevent 
your risk of cancer in the future. So those are, and then the other option is you do nothing. (laughs) So there are really four options, I guess. Yes, so I am doing increased surveillance right now um, because it was important to my husband and I to uh, have a family. Um, But in conversations with my healthcare providers as well as with my family, um, I will probably do some type of preventative surgery in the future, which Mm. brings a lot of uncertainty with it too. Um, But I think that's the best decision. But I will say that there's because there's so much uncertainty with that decision, it makes me nervous and overwhelmed to even think about that. And that and. I mean, that's the the title of the podcast, right? Today's interview is Making Decisions in an Uncertain World. And I appreciate you bringing that up and and kind of coming back to the whole point of the podcast is, you know, what's it like living with this uncertainty? And I want to get to the emotional part a little bit more um, for a couple of reasons. One, Mayo Clinic has an interesting website I was looking up where they talk about the risks of just getting tested you know, and the emotional response, and they talk about, you know, this feeling of inevitability that you're going to get cancer, but also the insurance discrimination, which I want to talk about too, and and the response that you might have with your family members, you know, feeling anger, you know, that you have a gene that was passed down. And so, and then having, having actually watched your mom go through this, what is it like living... In, what is it really like living with all this uncertainty and, and how do you address that? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, so I underwent genetic testing because I really believe that information is power, right? So I went in thinking that if I do this genetic testing, I will have knowledge Um, knowledge to make life-affirming choices Um, and right now that's increased surveillance but even though I just assumed I would get cancer someday um, so I wasn't that surprised my genetic test results were positive um, it's you know it seems like the logical thing to do to do genetic testing because that's what happened to the women in our family Um, in the midst of their careers and families and hobbies, they battled breast cancer. But after I received my genetic test results, um, the initial, getting the initial results wasn't actually that overwhelming because I had assumed I would test positive. Mm. However, it's been the years since then um, that you mentioned, you know, this inevitability um, that even though we are, my doctors and I are actively screening for cancer. Every time I go in for a clinical appointment to have a breast MRI or whatever it is, it brings up all of these emotions again. Um, You know, I wonder, am I going to be diagnosed with cancer today? Um, And what is that going to look like? Um, And how am I going to cope with that? Um, But you make, um, my mom has this great quote Um, that she says, and she says, uh, you make the best decisions you can with the information you have at that time. And so that really is kind of like a mantra for me, and I guess our family too. And um, so we believe that knowledge is power, we believe that information is helpful, but you have to make a daily decision to live in the moment, basically, and to not be afraid of the uncertainty that comes with making medical decisions, regardless of what they are. You have to embrace it. Yeah. Um, 
in terms of the people who are listening, um, wondering, and for myself too, I, I have a lot of cancer in my family too, and thinking about getting tested. So uh, what I'm hearing you say is that the positive result didn't really change much for you in that you were already anticipating it was going to be positive. Is that, is that correct? Yes, and my research actually shows the same thing, is that most people who undergo genetic testing end up expecting a positive result mm -hmm. because of the significant family history of cancer in their family, which is interesting because, again, there's a 50-50 chance <laughs> that you won't test positive, mm -hmm. um, you know. And thinking, too, about um, there are three three test results I read about that you can get positive, negative, or uncertain. And I can't and I, I can't even imagine what an uncertain result would give you when there's already uncertainty, and that's the reason you're getting tested anyway. Um, and, I, I mean, do you know anyone who's ever tested uncertain? I have not known anyone personally who's mm -hmm. gotten, it's called a VUS, a variance of uncertain significance. Um, I don't know someone on a personal level, but I have a couple colleagues um, within the field of health communication and genetics who are specifically looking at mm -hmm. patients who have a family history of cancer, decide to undergo genetic testing, and then end up getting this VUS. And you're right, it's a whole new level of uncertainty because there aren't um, as specific guidelines um, for people like that. And oftentimes, uh, patients who test, uh, you know, get this VUS, they are ready to do something. And to because of their family's history of cancer or because they're worried about the future, and then they have to make a decision based on uncertain information right. about, well, should I still screen? Should I consider surgery still? And then it, at that point, it ends up being a very personal decision. Yeah, right. So the, the genetic testing didn't really do anything to their uncertainty except increase their uncertainty in many ways. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, and, and I, the other thing I had, had talked about earlier, because we're at the halfway point, I want to get into the, your experiences um, in the clinical world, having the testing and, and talk a little bit more about that. But I am curious about, and I know others are too, we think about insurance discrimination and wondering what questions you've asked and what your concerns are about that. Because I'm hearing you say that because you tested positive, there's actually more of an acute awareness to do some preventive, preventive tests and actually screen you more closely. So that sounds like that's a positive result of the genetic testing. But have you experienced or heard of um, the negative results and, and that is insurance discrimination? Yes, I have. That's a, a good question. So um, right now, um, there's the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of uh, 2008, which says that you um, can't um, discriminate based on genetic uh, information. However, that doesn't apply to life insurance. It only applies mm -hmm. to health insurance. And so one of the things... Um, you want to be careful of is, well, I would recommend seeing a genetic counselor to discuss, you know, any family history that you might have if you're interested in uh, looking into genetic testing. Um, but a, a genetic counselor will go through and kind of talk about, you know, 
positives and potential negatives for getting um, this type of information and how it might impact your life. And they and they will describe, um, you know, the fact that you can't be discriminated right now because you're BRCA positive, you know, in my case, um, but that um, there is the potential to be discriminated against for, for life insurance. Mm-hmm. So I have heard others recommend getting life insurance prior to undergoing oh. genetic testing. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Because <clears throat> I have heard that you're not supposed to be discriminated in regards to your health insurance. Um, and yet, now there's another loophole, right? So that your your life insurance says, well, yeah, if you already are predisposed, then we can deny you that. Because um, I filled out life insurance recently, and I don't remember that being on there. There were other exclusionary criteria. Um, A lot of it was mental health, uh, severe depression. I actually don't remember genetics being on there. So I don't know if, do you know what I mean? I don't know if that's addressed explicitly or? Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know the answer to that question. It it might depend on the different applications itself, um, whether or not they ask that question. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that case, you know, you would have to to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but that's something for people to think about. Um, in terms of your experience, so I want to get into the, the clinical part a little bit more. Um, you had talked about genetic counseling and wondered if you could sort of talk us through um, sort of different aspects of your experiences throughout this. So thinking about those who are interested in doing genetic testing, what was it like speaking to, to a genetic counselor? Um, what advice do you have for sort of navigating through the clinical aspects of, of going through genetic testing? What have you learned? <laughs> yes, those are great questions, and I think important ones for people who are considering um, genetic testing and who might have a significant family history of cancer. So for me, my genetic counseling um, appointment happened, um, it was actually a year before I did my genetic test results. So um, I went and saw a genetic counselor to discuss my possible cancer risk based on my family's medical history. Um, My mother and my husband went with me, Mm -hmm. and it was a really great experience. The genetic counselor sat down with us. We mapped out our family's history of cancer. Um, We talked about what would happen if I did test positive, what my options were, um, for example, going back to the increased surveillance, preventative surgeries, chemo prevention. We talked about children. So if, if and when my husband had children, um, that there was a 50-50 chance that I would pass on the BRCA2 mutation to a child and, um, you know, emotions that might come with that. Um, we talked about health and life insurance, as we just mentioned. And then she said, you know, here's all the information based on your family's history. I recommend genetic testing. And then I, I moved, actually, um, uh, to start my Ph.D. Um, in, after that uh, appointment. And so I actually took the genetic test kit with me home. And um, it sat for an entire year Mm -hmm. in uh, my safe in the back of my closet. Um, And um, in this case, uh, this genetic test uh, 
you can do a saliva test, so it was non-invasive. Um, but it but it sat in my safe in the back of my closet for a year because I wanted to. I knew that if I tested positive for this genetic variant, it would change my life, um, and I wanted to be absolutely sure I was ready to receive those results, whatever they were. So when I finally did decide to complete the test, it was just in my house. Um, my husband was sitting next to me, and um, I I remembered you know, my mom's encouraging words, as I mentioned earlier, that if I did test positive, then it would be knowledge to make life affirming choices. So I think going to a genetic counselor really helped me process my family's history of cancer and to make an informed decision to undergo the genetic testing. But ultimately, I decided to do the genetic testing because I did, I do believe that knowledge is power. Um, And so now I'm able to engage in personal decisions to prevent and detect cancer in my body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. It, it sounds like it just, you know, despite what had happened to your family and everything that you knew and the um, great conversation that you said you had with the genetic counselor, you still took some time to really think about it and, and what the implications were. And it sounds like you had support as well. Um, the other clinical question I want to ask you is what has it been like since you tested positive? And I'm wondering about your primary care physician and maybe your gynecologist. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering the two part question. Number one, it sounds like it's been good because they're, they have heightened awareness of testing for things that they may not have tested for in the past. But do you find that the, there's any sort of discrimination against you as, as well or maybe a bias of, are they overly aggressive looking for something that may not be that? Do you know what I mean? Uh, what what, what yes. has that been like for you? Yes, that's a great question. And so I've been doing increased surveillance now for about five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so practically what this looks like is when I um, get a new doctor. Um, so, you know, we've moved a couple different times since I, I got my genetic test results. So I always disclose to my primary care physician or my OBGYN um, that I am BRCA2 positive. And thankfully, um, the healthcare providers I've interacted with so far know what that is. They know what BRCA2 is and um, they are on board for engaging in, you know, increased surveillance and recommending me to, um, in, in my most recent case, Moffitt Cancer Center, where I um, am, I'm, I am a part of their prevention program. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've really helped me along my journey. Um, I've also disclosed to my dermatologist I'm BRCA2 positive mm-hmm. because there's, I mentioned earlier, an increased risk for melanoma. So they, they screen me more closely. Mm-hmm. But I'm constantly reminding my physicians because I'm not seeing them all the time. And it's in my medical records, but I constantly want to bring that up. Okay. Um, just so that they know. Um, so it sounds like you're being more proactive bringing it up as opposed I'm, to I'm thinking it's a red flag in your EMR, right? So your electronic medical record, there's like a Merlia Dean Cruzel, BRCA2, <laughs> like in red flashing letters. But it sounds like it's more of you reminding them of this as opposed to them sort of uh, being acutely aware of it. Yes. Uh, unless, of course, I'm at, you know, Moffitt Cancer Center for my clinical breast exams or my breast MRI or my mammogram, right? I'm working with a genetic counselor there um, and a, a breast surgeon there. Um, so they they know and 
they're kind of guiding the actual screening process. But outside of that, mm-hmm. yes, I am the one who is being active, actively participating with my doctors and saying, don't forget this. Like, remember, I have this risk. Let's make sure, um, you know, we're screening, screening my breasts and they're supporting. And overall, I've had really good experiences um, with my physicians. And I'm, I'm really thankful that, um, my physicians not only care about my physical body, but they're also very attuned to my emotional well-being, mm. which is, I think, really important when you're trying to work with a healthcare provider, um, because of this information. Because yeah. it's not a, it's not a one-stop shop, right? They're, they're tracking me. They're tracking my health over time. So I just actually got a new, primary care physician on Monday and um, I disclosed BRCA2 to her and she said, okay, you know, your next mammogram, please send me the results so that I can be kept in the loop. And that was just awesome. (laughs) Yeah, nice. So it sounds like you you really have a team that's working with you and you're being proactive to tell everybody about it and make sure that everybody's on board. I just wondered if there was any point that you felt a little coerced, that they were sort of pushing additional testing that you didn't want. And so I'm, I'm just wondering what kind of response perhaps at the, at, um, with those who are more aware if they've really sort of, do you know what I mean? Sort of um, pushed you to, to do this, to have more I testing. I've never felt any pressure from okay. my clinicians um, to do things that I didn't want to do. But I would say if patients have had that experience, I would go to and use clinical guidelines to remind physicians what is being recommended and what is not being recommended. I want to go back to the family part because I think that's really important to think about is how has your family and your mom, uh, you had an aunt who had it, um, but you said your aunt was the youngest. So does that mean your mom has other sisters or other siblings and have they had cancer? So you've had some people who have and some people who haven't. And what, what is that like? Because this is all family oriented. And so how has your family and you sort of navigated through these conversations and through um, the, the fact that you carry this gene? Yes. Uh Cancer genetics is a family affair. Um, We often say that um, in this realm. And so (laughs) it's hard. Um, You know, you're talking about personal health decisions, but it affects the whole family. Um, I know my mom has experienced a lot of guilt for passing Mm -hmm. on the BRCA gene to me. Um, I know I have thought about what's the potential of passing on BRCA2 to future children, uh, myself. Um, I think ultimately the best way to cope with this as a family is to communicate uh, openly, um, engage in communication as best you can. Um, There was actually a a recent study that a colleague and I did, um, Dr. Emily Rauscher um, at Texas A&M, and we we did some research that um, looked at people uh, who tested positive for BRCA, um, like myself, but who hadn't been diagnosed with cancer, and we asked them what's their advice for talking to their family members after they received this um, BRCA genetic variant. And they said three main things, to engage in two-way dialogue, 
mm-hmm. um, to seek information and support needs, and to manage emotions. And again, you do that individually, but you also do it at a familial level as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, is there anything else that you want to share with us or any other thoughts that you have? Yes, yeah, so thinking back to the main reason why I decided to undergo genetic testing, I talked about how it would be um, helpful knowledge to make informed choices. Um, but the kind of emotional side behind that is, if I'm honest, when I would plan out my life, um, you know, graduate from college, earn a PhD, get married, you know, travel the world, um, sometimes I include a breast cancer diagnosis and treatment. Mm-hmm. So I end up seeing that a part of my life because that's what happened to the women in our family. But in the years since undergoing genetic testing, while in my family it does kind of seem like a way of life, as I've moved along my personal and career journey, I have realized that I don't have to let my family's past, um, uh, I don't have to let my past, my genetic test results, Um, dictate my future. Mm. So that's really why I decided to pursue a PhD and ultimately become a professor because I wanted to weld my role as a professor and researcher and advocate uh, in order to improve patients' health experiences as well as develop tools to improve health outcomes for patients like me. So by helping other people, I end up helping myself. Yeah. And that is very inspiring for the people listening, you know, that have gone through their own illnesses or genetic testing or, you know, have been caregivers to others, um, you know, dedicating your life to doing this work and, and helping others, but inevitably helps you too, right? And it sounds like you've learned a lot about who you are and your journey through this as well. Um, I want to end with resources that you can provide our listeners. So places to go or any uh, resource that has been helpful for you throughout this journey. So there are three main resources that have been really helpful for me in my personal journey um, that I'd like to share. One is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network or the NCCN. And those are the evidence-based guidelines um, Mm -hmm. for cancer that I was talking about earlier. So if people um, are interested in genetic counseling and testing, they can go there first. The other is the National Society of Genetic Counselors. This is the professional society for genetic counselors, but it also offers education and advocacy for patients through multiple resources. And you can also find a genetic counselor at their website. Mm. So that's really helpful. And then the third one um, is a nonprofit organization that's committed to patients and their families affected by hereditary cancer. And I also volunteer with them because um, I think they do a good job of providing uh, information and support. And that is FORCE. It stands for Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered. And all three of these provide great resources as patients make decisions for themselves in this uncertain world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Merlia, for joining us today and for sharing both your personal story, but also giving us a lot of information um, about genetic testing and its implications for ourselves, our families, and for our whole community.
So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. As a reminder to our listeners, you can find us on Facebook at Health Stories Podcast, uh, and you can like us as well. We are also on Twitter, Health Stories Podcast at Stories Health. So thank you again for joining us. We look forward to having you again next week. This is Nicole Deffenbaugh with Health Stories.